Hello and welcome to another episode of 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One, the podcast that solves your freelance problems one at a time. My name's Michelle Pratt, I'm the owner of Dive Deeper Development, a personal development training and coaching company. And I'm Katie Carlisle, owner of Squarespace Queen, where I do web design and training. And today we're going to talk about integrity in business, really, and our ability to do the right thing in the way that we conduct our business. Now, this could be really tricky sometimes. You know, there's nothing worse than seeing people uh, getting ahead in a sleazy way. And sometimes you might see things, particularly on social media, that, that you, maybe you don't think is right, but you might be worried that if you don't join in some of these uh, methods of doing business that you might be left behind. So we're gonna to talk today about what some of those ethical dilemmas are and what integrity uh, in business means for freelancers and why it's important. So Katie, let's, let's start there really, I suppose. I mean, we're using the word integrity here. I hear Americans use it in, in a variety of different contexts. Uh, my yoga teacher uses it in a very different context. What, what do we mean in terms of freelancer integrity? Yeah, I think in the context of this episode, we mean being ethical, sticking to your beliefs and values, not screwing people over to get ahead. This is basically our don't be a dick episode. It's it's avoiding all of the things that you know really are what you're not supposed to be doing. But like you said, Michelle, there's that temptation to just blur the edges a little bit and maybe slip into less moral or ethical ways of doing business. And it's also about, I think, integrity is about sticking to your own values and being true to yourself, if that's not too cheesy to say. Yeah, it's definitely important to stick to your own values, Katie. I think, you know, that's something that distinguishes your business from that of other people. So I, I think that's a, it, it's important, like you say, not just from what other people think of you, but for how you feel about yourself when you're in business too. In particular, I, I give a hint there are some of the things that we might come across in terms of dilemmas, but why is this a particular challenge for freelancers specifically? Well, I think when you're working for another company, a lot of the decisions around values and things like that have already been taken, and maybe they were part of the reason that you joined the company. So it's very easy for you to kind of go, okay, they've got these values, they align with what I believe, I'm going to work for them, but ultimately the company themselves determine the values and they determine the behaviour that is expected in line with the values and they'll have all kinds of policies and training and ways of working that guide your behavior. I know the place I used to work, our boss would always say, if you're not sure, go back to the company values. And if you can justify your decision based on the company values, even if it's not what I would have done, I'm never gonna have a problem with it. It's only if you act in a way that's not in accordance with the company values that it's a problem. So it was really nice to have that framework that someone else had thought of for me. And I think it's just that thing of, yeah, it just takes a lot of the mental load off you when you are when you know this is, this is the guidelines of how we're supposed to behave. These are the companies that we work with, these aren't. Of course, when you're freelance, you are in charge of making all of those decisions along with all the other decisions that you have to make as well. So I think it's really hard because you have to work out what all your own values are. And if you get to a bit of a moral gray area or something you're not quite sure about, it's up to you to make that final decision. You don't have a boss that you can go to and say, actually, I'm not sure, what do I do in this situation? Ultimately, you can go and ask other people, but the book stops with you. You're the one responsible for making those decisions. So you need to decide what your business values are and how you want to behave and then do business accordingly. So it's kind of a lot of pressure. 
it is a lot of pressure but it's also i suppose the other thing is, is that your name is above the door so it's your brand so i i, I worked for a, a bank that famously fell from grace with its lack of integrity <laughs> and it felt awful to work for that company and i think that's the first thing it doesn't feel good to work with a company that doesn't align with your values or you feel that you're not doing things you know as as, as well as you could but also it was bad enough at times working for that company and some of the stick i got at professional networking events but it's to have someone attack your employer doesn't feel great but when it's you if someone's attacking your principles your values or questioning your ethics then that's it's more personal and i think it, it sticks with you and it follows you around so for freelancers i think to maintain the the brand and the and, and your good name is more important than ever really yeah and i think sometimes as well you see people who are also freelance and it looks like they're getting ahead by promoting what they do and marketing the business or behaving in a way that isn't particularly ethical or that doesn't really sit well with your own values. But it can be really tempting to then think that that's what you have to do. You know, I think a classic example, something we've mentioned a few times on the podcast before is the sort of out of context claims that people make. So, you know, I made six figures last year. Here's how I did it. And that doesn't actually tell you how much they spent is the first thing. So like if you're if you're like, okay, well, they did this way of marketing, they're telling me I have to behave in this way, I have to have pop-ups on my website, I have to like sell, 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 I have to do whatever it is, I have to target these people, I have to 10x my income, whatever I have to do. All of those claims, they don't always provide you with the context of, you know, if you made six figures but you spent six figures, then your profit is actually not that big. So, you know, it's be really aware when you're kind of seeing people who aren't behaving well seeming to succeed, there's probably a catch somewhere. And that's a really good point, Katie, as well, because some freelancers might be thinking, oh, well, how does that apply to me? Because I'm not a large company, so I'm not going to start investing in companies that drop bombs on poorer countries, and I'm not about to pollute the, the ocean with with the you know lo- loads and loads of waste. Well, no, but Katie's just given an example there of some of these smaller tactics, which are going to maybe not impact people on a global scale, but are still going to have an impact. So perhaps, Katie, we talk about some of the other things we've seen or some other examples or places where people might be tempted to fall into practices that are perhaps not entirely ethical or might might question their integrity okay in, in digital marketing we, we've some as well haven't we we've seen some some interesting uh, particularly on social media we've seen some interesting ones haven't we yeah exactly and it's worth mentioning that when we're saying ethical we're, we're passing our own value judgments here what's ethical yeah. f- you know there's some things which are blanket ethical and blanket unethical but there's a you know there is a, a sort of spectrum i suppose of ethics and you know we're making value decisions based on what's important to us you know, I personally don't eat meat, but I don't necessarily think it's unethical for everyone not to eat meat. Some people think it's completely unethical for anyone to ever eat meat. So when we're saying ethical, we're basing that our own judgments. We're not trying to pass on a judgment True. to you. We, you know, everything we're saying is based on our values, but I think there's some things that as a society we can agree, we'd probably be better off if maybe this thing didn't happen. But really when you're listening to this, think about the decisions in relation to what your beliefs and your own values are. So disclaimer over, we yeah. may continue. Yeah, that's, that's a good disclaimer. Uh, thanks for sharing that one, Katie, as well. And I think also some of the things we're, we're going to touch upon um, are common practice. Now, common practice done skillfully 
is actually quite helpful. Some of this common practice done without skill or integrity is is not so good. So it's not a black and white thing either. Some of these things are done are, are okay done ex- executed for the right reasons in the right way too. Absolutely. So you mentioned digital marketing, Michelle. I think one of the things is the way that you sell. So a lot of selling tactics, um, you know, they're done because they work and there's a psychology behind them, but they're not necessarily the most honest or transparent way to do business. So things like false scarcity, where you're kind of saying, oh, only one remaining to make people panic and think, right, I have to buy it now. When actually you've got 50 left in stock, you know, uh, limited time offers, you know, you, you, I'm sure you'll have seen those on the website where you go on and it says there's a little counter at the top and it's and it's always got one day to go, no matter what day you visit the website. <laughs> it's like, and it's that, although those kind of, they are lies ultimately, you know, but they work and they're probably white lies. They don't really hurt that many people, but that, the, the, you know, those offers, those selling tactics, they encourage people to take action more quickly based on a false premise. So that's yeah, one. And, on, and on fear, Katie, as well. And, and I think that, and so this is what one for me, it's what for, for people listening to this to decide whether that works for them. And it's also another example of something where it's done skillfully or not. If I was selling a coaching course, I might put a time limit on it, not because um, I want to create fake scarcity or fake time limit, but I want people to take action. And I also don't want to be following up sales leads forever. So I'm going to close it off so I can finally get my stuff together and get my product out there. So that's fine. But like you say, Katie, some people do sell based on fear. Yeah. And I've had this great debate with other people in my industry saying, well, look, if you know, firstly, I think that what we sell when in my industry where we sell personal development, that's quite aspirational and it's quite personal and it's transformational. It's not like buying, you know, electronic goods off of Amazon. So if you're going to sell based on fear, you can make people act quickly, but it's not going to give them that extra impetus or motivation to stay training with your course or to follow the coaching program so you can make you can scare people into buying today what you can't do using those tactics is make them commit and fall in love with a product so personally i would i've been told by some of my colleagues fear sells you have to people are more motivated by the negative than the positive i personally don't believe that is true so i personally wouldn't do it i i think you're better to create a sense of discomfort or urgency but to sell to the positive but those are my values and again it's something to weigh up but beware of false claims like you say katie if you've got a digital product there are not 10 left you can sell that product indefinitely and there are times where maybe you do want to limit it maybe you're offering some kind of one-to-one support with each digital product or you know that you know if you sell a thousand digital products you're going to have to put in more effort supporting that than if you sold a hundred so you do limit it and i think we're not saying that if you genuinely have a limited time offer or if you genuinely have a limited amount of products available that you can't advertise that fact i think that is fine it's that sort of like you say, that fear-based selling. And I think also kind of linked to what you were saying, Michelle, that kind of over-promising and under-delivering as well. So I think when people do fear-based selling, they are promising a lot of the time radical change that's actually very difficult to achieve or you know certainly something they can't guarantee and that's when people get really disappointed because you know they've been promised this dream but they've not actually they're either they're not in the right place to actually take the action they need to take to get to where they want to be or they've put far too much effort into the selling and not enough you know effort into the delivery so that they actually don't give you that change that 
that you've been promised. And so I think yeah. that's that's another thing is be very careful what you promise to people because there's only so much control you have over what they do, especially if it's something where you are encouraging people to change their behavior. Like I would never promise to get somebody to the top spot on Google, but I see that all the time. You know, oh yeah, we'll get you to the top page, first page on Google, we'll get you to the top spot. There's so many factors that influence that. There's just, it's not something I would ever be comfortable promising. And I, so I say to my clients, like, if someone promises you that, be very, very skeptical because Google could change their algorithm like that. And you could change where your position was. You know, it's relying on the client keeping up creating content or, you know, not having competitors that spend more money and do a better job. Like there's so many factors. So whatever industry in you, there's probably a, a, a standard industry promise that you're aware of and that you might be very tempted to kind of piggyback on that because you feel like if you're not, if you're the only one not promising it, are you going to, you know, lose out? It's, it's like when the promise almost becomes like it's a fact, then you feel a bit uncomfortable not promising it because you're like, it seems like you're offering less. But I think there will always be people that want to work with someone honest rather than somebody who does overpromise and underdeliver. Yeah, and I think the one that really I'm not too happy with, Katie, is where people say you will be successful as long as you put in the work, therefore blaming failure on the customer. I, I, yeah. I rarely think this is a positive thing. There are some really good online courses, by the way, that offer money back guarantees. And as far as I'm aware, they do offer these. And again, like you said, Katie, if you're not offering that, do you look out of place? But those businesses are probably bigger and kind of kind of afford to absorb the cost of time wasters or people trying to pull a fast one. So it's yeah, like you say, don't overpromise yeah, about what. what you can do be really clear and that actually is a really selling point because people feel safer i think other things as well katie i've seen people try to make uh, put their businesses uh, make their businesses bigger by trashing other people either openly denigrating other businesses either specifically or just in general so you get those shouty youtube ads going most courses teach you to do this <laughs> they're wrong and they instantly think that person's an idiot you know and, and you know you can talk about what other products don't work but it's never as compelling as as the the reasons why your product will work and actually people don't want to know what it's a bit like the old election thing you know we don't want to know why Labour think the Tories are shouldn't be elected we want to know what is what are you offering I'm not picking yes. a political party there this is quite common isn't it yeah I do remember like it was years ago but I literally went to the websites of the main parties and I was trying to find out what they stood for couldn't it was not on the homepage because all it was was exactly like you say just trashing the other people saying what they were saying what they weren't rather than saying what they were and I think you can stand up much more by saying what you are and making yourself positive rather than saying what you're not and taking away. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I had a previous business before this one and people would do things like change your hours on Google or report you to Google as being closed. And that was actually a thing. Someone in my area was doing it. I don't know who it was because it was a this kind of physically based business. So I just kept it on the emails and kept it up to date. I never got removed. It's like, who the hell is doing this? And, and what are you hoping to achieve? And what are you really offering something of value if that's what you've got to do so yeah not not a good not a good tactic so be careful and, and another one katie in my in my line of work is stealing customers and i think this one particularly um, applies to freelancers so quite often when you start out especially or you may choose to have this as your business model you might work for other businesses as an associate as a contractor or something like this and um, you strike up a good relationship with a customer and then the customer wants to work with you. They don't want to go for the agency. So they want to cut out the middleman, if you like, and pay you directly. And I think this is, I've seen, I have seen companies take legal action against freelancers for this reason. Um, 
as a minimum, they've also not just lost um, a customer or a bit of business, they've lost the ability to earn thousands and thousands of pounds every year through that supplier. So you're losing, you may gain a customer, but you're losing like a almost lifetime contract or, or the next five years work. So it's really a good idea. This is a tough one, particularly when someone gives you a lead to a customer and you really have built the relationship and you really have done the work and created the value for the customer. And the customer will say, well, look, you've created the value, you've done the work it's only fair that you should, you know, we should just pay you directly. They, they, they're not even supporting us anymore. You're doing all the work, but I still think of those situations, Katie, generating a lead and marketing takes a lot of time and effort. And if there is that person's customer, I think you should leave them there. I think it causes more reputational problems for you go forward if you get known for stealing customers. So that's, but that's one we come across quite often. Sometimes people do it and they get away with it, to be fair. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's that's a tricky one because yeah, you, you know, you've got, if you've got the agency or the middleman are just treating you and or the customer really badly and you know that you could treat them really well, then that is a sort of moral gray area. And I think it's those kinds of decisions where like, you know, yeah, you've got to weigh up the legal and and reputational impacts and the risk with your own values and what's more important to you. And I think if you, that's probably, you know, a good bit of advice in terms of if you are ever going into a relationship like that with a company or even using sites like, you know, People Per Hour or Upwork, they generally have a contract that says if you find your client through them, any subsequent work you also have to do through the platform. I know a lot of people don't do that, but you are then breaking their terms. And yeah, if they went after you, then you could be in trouble, but you can obviously weigh up the risk. And that's one of the things it's about what I think there's two forms of integrity really is that kind of sticking to your own values and beliefs and then there's that honoring your word as well and so I think it's not like there's one right answer but I think it's something that using your own values and kind of looking at you know is this behavior what I want to be known for and this is, is this behavior in line with how I want to do business is probably the question to ask yourselves in these situations yeah absolutely and like you say Katie I would say communication in these situations as well. Yeah. So if you, you are ever tempted, speak to your client and just say, you know, that this situation has come up. I'd like to talk about how we go about it. But like you say, your word, your reputation is, is key. Yeah, exactly. You want to be the person that's reliable and good to do business with and everything else. And yeah, and I, and I think another one, Kate, is, is stealing intellectual property as well. Do you know, this happened to someone I know. They stole her whole website, like her business idea and all the copy on her website. Like Whoa. not even joking that way. <laughs> Just cloned it basically. They, follow, they followed, yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't even like pretend or make it subtly different, and actually just totally cloned her LinkedIn profile as well. And so she got so so she got in touch and said, um, they called her out, and suddenly this website and the LinkedIn profile disappeared. But actually, stealing someone's entire website is not unusual. But also no. stealing people's property, like you'll come across products people have made, handouts, guides intellectual property this kind of thing and it might be tempted to steal it um but again this can cause problems as well katie i'm sure you've seen this happen as well being a website designer yeah i mean designers like graphic designers and illustrators have this so much of the time the amount of you know amount of time that they see their designs come up in all kinds of different you know instagram posts and things like that and without any credit and i think that's the thing is that you know a lot of the time people are happy for you to share content if you credit them if you're posting something on instagram and claiming it's your own that's very different so if you see something that you like then just do a little bit do a little bit of research do your homework try and find out where it's come from if, you, if it's not already credited because someone has spent their time and energy creating that 
and you're just then if you're passing it off as your own even unintentionally you're yeah kind of ending up devaluing their work and taking that away from them and I've heard of yeah tattooists you know, unreputable tattoo parlors just stealing people's designs and offering them up as tattoos for people and people's fashion designs being taken by like unethical fashion brands and we you know someone's made a dress that's like a handmade independently designed dress and then they see it on some random fashion site for you know the tenth of the price very subtly altered but very clearly based on the same inspiration and I, I have to say to clients sometimes as well you know don't just get images off Google. Like you're stealing people's yeah. photographs. If you do that, make sure you've got permission and you're using images that have got the right copyright information on and everything. And yeah, I'd like to think that most people who are listening to this podcast would never intentionally steal someone's intellectual property. But I think it is quite easy to accidentally do it sometime when you know when you are when you when you kind of find something and you're like, oh, I can't quite remember where I got this from. At least make the effort to try and track down if possible. If you if you are sharing something and don't try and kind of you know pass it off as your own yeah absolutely and i i I think you know other freelancers know don't they katie that's at the end of the day um you know you'll get a bad reputation especially if you get called out on twitter or facebook or something word does get round and so there's a few examples there of of these are everyday things that we see quite often when we're online and um these are common these are common dilemmas and I think the, although they are quite commonplace, I think that um, it doesn't necessarily mean we should follow the crowd. So Katie, why is it important for a freelancer perhaps to maintain their integrity and their reputation as opposed to say just following the money or doing the, doing the quick thing? Well, I think the first thing is that it feels better. Like it just feels much nicer to feel like you are working in a way that is in tune with what you believe. And we've all probably had that icky moment where we've done something and afterwards kind of thought a bit, yeah, that was probably something I regret a little bit now because I did it because, you know, either there was money on offer or I panicked and I couldn't say no. Or, or, I mean, that's a huge one, isn't it? It's that sometimes you end up taking the kind of less, decisions with less integrity, not because of any actual malice or any bad intention but because you're actually finding it really hard to say no so like sometimes you know you might have a client that you know you don't necessarily fully agree with everything they do but you take them on anyway and then you know it's a bad fit but you just didn't want to say no or if you know if a client wants to engage in unethical marketing tactics themselves then it's tricky for you how much do you align yourself with that so I think it's it's the the feel good factor of knowing you know you're delivering your business in a way that's really in step with how you want to work, and I think then because of that, you have a better reputation as well. Um, okay, I think you're absolutely right about feeling good as well. Like it's not even about values or ethics either. I mean, it's uh, for me. I, I I've taken work with a company. Uh, but I didn't have very much work who just did everything on the cheap a bit and it was all a bit rubbish and I didn't feel like the full experience was being offered. And I didn't feel great doing that work, one, because I wasn't being paid very well, but secondly, because I just particularly didn't enjoy the work itself. It was all a bit low quality. So I think that feel good factor is really important. If you're going to put your effort into running your business, you want to feel good at the end of the day. And again, we've mentioned that this is good for your reputation. And I think it's important not just put the emphasis on money. In business, money is literally a currency and um, we can, it's attempting to chase the money because we want to earn and all good businesses need to earn money 
but it's a real difference between seeing money as the purpose and seeing money as the outcome so actually having a really good reputation also has a currency and so your your word is your bond and word does get round online and offline too so when you have a good reputation of someone who's reliable who's good at what they do who can be trusted that can put more money in the bank than than chasing the big numbers really quickly so I think reputation um, is is probably more valuable than a particular one-off contract or piece of work whichever way you do it and actually your reputation is part of your brand you are your business so we started at the beginning saying you are you are the business and actually what people think of you is what people think of your products and services so people don't just buy a website for example they want to do this they want a good business relationship they don't just hire a coach they want uh, someone in their life that, that a, a working relationship they can rely upon so you might get the money in the short term but it's about maintain, maintaining customers and of course Katie we've said this on the podcast before it's cheaper to please your existing customers and to repeat business with them than it is to attract new customers so I think reputation from that point of view you can't beat it really yeah exactly and I think that then extends you know you were saying about people referring you if you've got a good reputation word travels if you are working with customers that align to your values and fit you know fit in with your integrity so I think you know if you're working with a customer that shares your values that they do business in the same way as you or they do business in, in a way that you believe in what they're doing then you feel good working with them but it also means that they then recommend you to other similar businesses so you're it's an easier way of filtering out the clients you don't want and getting the clients that you do referred to you so if i was if i said right okay i'm going to do a one-off job with this company don't really like them but feel a bit awkward about saying no and i need the money i'll do it just this once if you do a good job with them even despite your kind of, even despite the values clash, if you do a good job, they'll probably recommend you. And their network is probably made up of other businesses like them that also aren't a good fit for your values. So then you've got other people knocking on your door, dangling the money carrot, you know, making you have to say no or making you feel like, oh yeah, it is money, it is money. And sometimes these people have got more money because they've got their money through unethical means. And so it makes it harder. Whereas if you are working with people who fit with your values, then they are likely to have in their network other organizations that fit you with your values. So I do a lot of work with charities and because that is something I really believe in is supporting nonprofits and that's my background. It really aligns my values. And of course, charities, talk to each other there are charity networks people move from one charity to another and then they're like oh well actually the new charity i've worked to they need their website redoing as well right back in touch and so it's it's the people i want to be working with who are talking about me and so that works much better because then i've got people coming to me who fit with me already it's like a pre-filtering way of doing it it is it's like a virtuous a virtuous cycle exactly. and like attracts like so it, it it does work as well and, and I think also, Kate, it helps you make decisions, doesn't it? I mean, you meant, we mentioned there saying yes to companies. And, and actually, we've done an episode on being pigeonholed. And this is a classic, what Katie's just described, is how we end up getting pigeonholed in our business in areas that we don't want to. And so when you've got that focus, you know whether, you know, if you know what your values are and what you will and won't do, it's much easier to say yes or no. So if you're at the beginning of your career, freelance career, you might be thinking, I'll say yes to everything. I was given the advice early doors, you know, think of the opportunity cost, say no to things that aren't a good fit for your values and your standards. And that was that was good advice. I didn't I said yes to most things to begin with, but I didn't say yes to everything. And I'm really quite pleased that I didn't. So it makes that decision making a whole lot easier for you as well internally. Yeah. And I remember reading like about 
five years ago, Paul Jarvis, who I feel like I've not mentioned that much because he's kind of gone off to do his own like software now. Is he dead so he to doesn't, you now? <laughs> doesn't even blog anymore. So how do I know what to think? Um, his, it, I remember he sent an email and I can't remember much about it, but the subject line was, I put people off. And it was basically about how he like deliberately you know, writes or had his website copy and everything he does and being kind of like weirdly unavailable. He does it deliberately to filter out the people that aren't a good fit for him because he knows that the people for whom he's a really good fit will still kind of stick with him through that and and it will resonate with them as well. Yeah, putting people off. I think the right people off is the right one. You know, Mm. uh, sometimes these decisions can cause tension and it's absolutely fine to cause tension with the right people uh, and and you don't want to cause tension with the wrong people. So I I think there is something in there too. And I think the final reason, if you're not already convinced to 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 know your values and to and to be uh, maintain your integrity, I suppose is just compliance is the last one, Katie. Professionalism again is another thing you can take to the bank, and so there are things that we have to do, such as holding appropriate qualifications, buying certain insurances, but also legal obligations like fi- filing your taxes, for example, and GDPR, so data protection policy, and actually. The, uh, I was I've signed up. I pay money to do this course where I, we do a data protection audit, and the and the law firm that run it, you know, take us through the changes that are happening every year and bring us up to speed to make sure that our policies are up to date. And I pay for that because I find no joy in it. But I find that if I'm part of that group and I have that support, I'll do it. And just things like that, you know, that's not very sexy. Most business owners don't enjoy that, apart from our friend Hugo at Huge Hug, who loves it. But we generally don't. Speaking for me there, Katie, speaking for us, our both our, our collective mind. But um, it is professionalism, isn't it? If, if people know and they have confidence in how you store their data, for example, they just feel a bit safer. And it's like during the, pan- the COVID-19 pandemic, when I went to a local pub that had no health and safety measures, despite them being compulsory, I didn't go back again for a few months. But I went up the road to another pub and they were bang on it you know within three days of those measures coming in you felt safe they you know they they had put all these procedures in they had all the ppe they knew exactly what they were doing they were keeping accurate records and, and if you know when those changes first came in they felt really odd and cumbersome and awkward but i actually felt really safe there and i thought yeah i'm going to come back here because i feel like i'm in good hands so compliance for me not the sexiest thing in the world but I think maintain your integrity in terms of the law or your, your business obligations. It speaks to your professionalism. And that also is a selling point. I, I This is a tough one for me, Katie, because we talked about your reputation and, you know, having um, a reputation being trustworthy. And I got told really early on in my freelance career, do you know what, Michelle? I like you. You turn up on time. You do what you say you're going to do. And, you know, you treat our customers right. <laughs> it's like, that's what you pay me for. But it's not that common, apparently. So it sounds standard. It's really not. Like, the, you, the bar is low, guys. You just... It really you know, is, stuff. yeah. Just do the what what for most people seems like the bare minimum. And is that's, that's still really good for it compared to a lot of other people. Like, the number of times, like, as, as a customer, you know, in, in Anglesey, we've really struggled to find reliable tradespeople that actually turn up when they say they will. We've said to them, like, look, quote us based on, we want you, to, you know, we don't mind paying a bit more to make sure you turn up, basically. I think the the problem is they're all they're all charging too little, so then they, they need to do more to make more money. 
and then they don't have time to do everything and deliver everything. If they just actually did, a f- you know, fewer customers but turned up and did the job really well, they'd probably be fine. We're competing a lot here with with holiday homeowners, so um, and second homeowners. So in the in the winter, we can get people to come out and do things. In the summer, they've got all the second homeowners and holiday homeowners who are willing to pay a bit more, or they perceive that they'll pay more, so they turn up for them. And I think that that's you know. Same with website design and lots of other freelance businesses is there'll always be people who are just there for the for the easy money and as soon as it stops being easy or as soon as there's something shiny and new and another opportunity they'll leave you behind and not continue to support you. And yeah, I had the same reaction, Michelle, when I first started. People were just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you actually got this done when you said you would. And I'm like, what else would I have done? But it's it's crazy how often that doesn't happen. And just even things like, yeah, like say communication you mentioned earlier, like just keeping people on, you know, if, if something's going wrong, just being honest about it with people. Like, so honesty and transparency are two of my values. And that helps to guide me. If I've, if I know I'm not gonna be able to deliver a piece of work on time or if life gets in the way and I can't make, you know, I can't make a meeting or I just for whatever reason struggling with something, it's really tempting to hide. It's not like I don't have that thought of like just ghosting them and just hiding and hoping they don't notice, but it's never gonna work out. And it also doesn't work with my values and it makes me feel weird and stressed. And so that helps me to actually go and proactively reach out to the customer and say, look, this is the situation. Here's what I'm planning to do about it. If we need a chat, I'm available. And it pretty much resolves the situation. Whereas if I'd have just ignored the problem, I'd have then got an angry chasing email from the customer saying, where's this stuff? Where are you up to? And then I'd still have to say the same thing, but then I'd be on the back foot and they'd be angry. So again, I think my values in that sense help to guide me with how I do business as well. Yeah. So Michelle, we've talked about why it's a problem for freelancers and why it's important, but what can we actually do if we want to make sure that we are working in a way that's kind of got integrity and we're working in alignment with what we believe. Yeah, I think the first thing is just to know your own values. We talked about that as a compass for your decision making. So I'd do some sort of values exercise. You can find lots on the internet, but as a really basic one you can do is just write down your, your, your business values, if you like. Why are you in business? And what's important to you? Is it honesty? Is it relationships? Is it quality? You have all these, even if you've never thought about them. Write them down and write a list, write a massive list, write down as many as you can and keep going. And then I would probably say, Katie, rank, rank, pick your top 10 or top five and then just rank them. So you all, I mean, we all have honesty, we all have integrity, we all want to do a good job, but you've probably got certain things that are really, really important to you. So once you've written your values down, pick your top ones and I'd, I'd, I'd rank them just because those ones are probably your standout values that are particularly pertinent to you and they may are probably the ones that elevate you from other people. So Katie and I there just talked about turning up on time, um, you know, producing a good job and uh, doing what you say you're going to do. And so that might be your thing. For other people, it's it's about something else. So I, I think start off by doing a values exercise. There are many on the internet and know what your values are. The reason why this is useful is that if you get asked a question or you get an offer and you want to know how to answer by having your values present in your mind or for simply having done the exercise you'll instinctively know whether to say yes or no or it would make that deliberation a lot easier as Katie mentioned earlier if you get caught you know if you're under pressure or you get caught on the hop and you're asked a question or a client throws something in if you haven't thought about this beforehand you're more likely to get swept away with the tide and just go with the flow 
But if you wear your values on your sleeve, and Katie, you've put them on your website before, um, I've talked about mine openly as well, then people quite often don't even ask you certain things because they already know where you stand on the issue. Yeah, exactly. Your values don't have to just be an internal business planning document that's for your eyes only. You can share them, I guess, overtly and subtly through what you do. So you can, you know, put them out there. You can turn them into mini policies. I wrote a freelance manifesto. I'm just working on updating it for my new brand at the moment. Um, but about three or four years ago, I wrote um, my freelance manifesto. It was called Don't Be a Dick, my freelance manifesto. And it just had 10 points of how I want to do business and what I want to focus on in my business and collaborate rather than compete. Don't include jargon when I'm speaking. Basically things that were important to me and statements I wanted to make, you know, working with other ethical businesses, that sort of thing. And I think just putting that out there means that when, if somebody comes along and they have those values, they can immediately identify with you. And we've talked about in the previous podcasts about the power of finding a connection or a point of connection with somebody if you know if if they've narrowed it down to two web designers and they both charge the same and they both got the same talents and skills they're probably going to go with the person who shares the values or have they have a connection with in some way if everything else is equal so I think putting it out there in whatever form social media is actually a really great way to showcase your values in a less obvious way so so for me like being sustainable is one of my values I'm actually writing a blog post about being ethical and sustainable at the moment but in my social media I mentioned things like trying to be more vegan and trying to be minimalist and not buy too much stuff and anything you know any things I'm doing that reflect my values I will try and share so I'm not saying this is my value I'm, but I'm kind of implicitly saying that through my actions and what I'm talking about. So whatever you're doing, think about how you can actually communicate it as well through yeah, your blog post, through social media, and then maybe obviously on your website. And you could even have a section that says, I work with these types of businesses. Not one of these businesses, feel free to contact me, but at least it gives people a guide as to the types of companies that you want to work with. And similarly, if you've got testimonials and a portfolio, prioritize the ones that reflect your values and are more like the other companies that you might want to work with yeah and that's interesting katie because some of those values you mentioned aren't necessarily directly related to your skill or your industry but it's absolutely fine to share those values too um you know i've and so i think if you share those personal values as well as your professional ones like you say you're more likely to connect with those people and one just really practical thing you can do if you want to do more ethical marketing then there's a site called The Ethical Move and you can sign up to take their pledge and you're basically, um, it will ask you to take a pledge which says that you will then do your marketing in an, in a more ethical way. So I think they've got things like put uh, people before profit and things like that. It's basically a few statements that you agree to kind of abide by in how you do marketing and then you get a little badge to put on your website. So, and it's not about doing it just to get the little badge. You have to actually, you know, do the things. But I think if you've signed up to something like that, it can really help then to just be a little reminder about, okay, yeah, am I actually sticking to my pledge that I've said I was going to do this thing? I've publicly committed to doing this. Am I actually sticking to it with how I'm marketing? They used to have quite a checklist and it said, yeah, don't use scarcity pricing. Don't use, you know, 399 as opposed to 400, things like that. Um, But they've done away with that because they realized actually there's, like we said earlier there's certain things if you implement it for a reason then it's actually not necessarily unethical so they've gone more to kind of a principles thing of like here's how you do 
ethical business and ethical marketing so yeah the ethical move is a great resource and they've got information on there about how you can how, can, how you can be more ethical in the way that you market as well yeah that's a good, good tip katie i like that that creates a psychological contract uh which you say you can hold yourself to and i, I think another thing that would really help as well is if you're stuck in a dilemma where way up the short term and the long term so i think the law of a short term win can be very powerful just like with you know dieting losing weight or procrastination you know that the the, the, the long-term gain seems far away the short term feels really appealing but weigh it up and also think about what it will cost you so i mentioned earlier if you're still someone else's customer you gain a customer and it's very easy to focus on that but you've probably lost lots of future potential work plus an opportunity cost to work with people who don't agree with that sort of thing where word spreads so try and think up uh, both uh, both uh, approaches and I think the other thing, another thing as well, Casey, is that you can should go through the right channels. And I suppose one one kind of pushback about this might be, okay, but what if someone steals my copy, or what if I get screwed over, or what if um, I see other people acting, you know, uh, uh, in a bad way, and I don't follow, and I get left behind. And I think my suggestion there would be to go through the right channels. So if someone steals your copy, I think the first thing to do, for example, would be to reach out to them. You can always. Uh, contact them you can always write get a legal letter sent if you have to have to and we've had friends who have done that normally a legal letter will get things done or if you're part of an industry body you can make a complaint to the industry body or get support from them so i would say if you experience unethical behavior or bad business practices don't be tempted to sink to their level yeah and try not to get into a tit for tat either or or one-upmanship my suggestion would be go seek advice from your community or industry but always go through the appropriate channels if that doesn't work well then you know at the end of the day you've done everything you can to go about it the right way ultimately i think yeah and if you're sharing it then maybe because because i know i have seen quite a lot of people sharing in a very frustrated way understandably when people have behaved unethically to them but then some of the ways that the sharing takes place is kind of getting a little bit dodgy as well you know it's getting a little bit threatening and a little bit violent sometimes so if you are sharing your experience and your frustration maybe just get a couple of trusted people who share your values to look over that first before you rage post something out on the internet yeah definitely and and, and i think katie we talked about you know making values part of your your brand to play the long game so i again i've mentioned that it is tempting to follow the latest trend particularly marketing where you're told use these words uh, you know spam people this many times a day or um you know use that use uh, these these tactics or these tools which you know kind of pressure people into into buying and it can be quite tempting to go with them but if they intuitively feel wrong for you then then don't don't go with them would be that would be my suggestion i i have seen i've been freelancing long enough now to have seen certain trends come in and they sooner have those trends come in i've seen those trends go out again and i'm quite proud not to have jumped on on the boat with them there was a woman who was doing courses she was selling via webinar and when i first started i thought she was really impressive and she was saying do this do that do the other i I felt kind of icky just because that style wasn't mine not necessarily there's anything wrong with it but it wasn't really me and then i found out like she 
you know, then she had a, a bit of a breakdown because all the stuff she was telling us to do was producing huge amounts of content and it had actually broken her. And then she was selling you a course on how to be all mindful and zen and to, <laughs> to ditch that pace of life. And it's like, oh my God. So it, like the truth will out in the end, I guess, is, is what I'm saying. And I, I think what people get wise these days. They're very um, dig digitally savvy, I think. And they, and they get wise to certain tactics. So we've talked about the landing pages, which have the fake scarcity or so many left or use the fear-based selling and I know Katie now there are you know some people say oh well that's going out of trend you know that's out of fashion now or people have got wise to it so it doesn't work anymore so I think even if you lose out the short term it might be worth it you may find it pays dividends in the long term so play the long game if you can yeah I think I've never you know I've never heard of people who are being genuinely helpful going out of fashion I think that's the thing if you are genuinely wanting to make a difference and wanting to help somebody and you're doing business in a way that makes people feel good, not bad about themselves. I think that is evergreen, that is gonna last. And maybe the way you deliver, you know, the products that you, you sell in that way might change, but the way you do business is what people are gonna remember you for. Like I have people who subscribe to my newsletter who aren't even interested in Squarespace, but they just say like, oh, I just, I like how you talk about things. And so it's, it's kind of, and they, you know, they know people who probably would want my services and they can be my kind of champ champions and ambassadors. And so I think it's, in, in a sense, it doesn't matter what the trends are. Like it's, you know, for me, I struggle sometimes because other people have got websites where they're, you know, they're saying like, oh yeah, you know, maximize your conversions and oh, get you, you know, improve your SEO. And yeah, we'll, you know, do this really like kind of specific smart goals thing with your website, which is kind of not how I operate. I'm more of a process person. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna teach you how to manage your own website and figure out what you need to do and know how to do it yourself. Or I'm gonna create a website that does what you need it to do, but I'm not gonna make any promises and I'm not gonna emphasize the just the money side of it I want the whole thing to be a good experience for you like so yeah it's a tricky one but I think what you were saying about being part of your brand and what you were saying before about appealing to the positive I think people sometimes attempted when they're writing their copy to keep it a bit vanilla and a bit generic and to, see, to sound kind of suitably like professional using air quotes on the podcast again but actually your content and your copy and how you speak and how you put yourself across on social media and everything else that says a lot about who you are and so I think don't shy away from doing that and you know yes you might put people off but they're probably the wrong people that you didn't want to work with anyway yeah definitely well at the end of each episode we always like to share our top tips or takeaways so if you could just do one thing Michelle to solve the problem of keeping keeping in line with your own integrity and your values what would it be I would say, Katie, yeah, maybe know your own values first. I, I, as I said before, it's easy to get swept away with the tide when you're in the heat of the moment or someone makes a request of you. But if you know who you are first and what's important to you, and maybe you disagree completely with all the things we've said today on the podcast, that's fine. But just know yourself and it makes it much easier to stay true to that, I think. What about you? I think mine would be the next logical step actually, which is to shout about your values. Don't keep your values hidden away in a Word document saved in a random folder on your computer. You know, put them out there in the world, either listed as they are, or just make sure you're doing it, you know, put them out in the world through how you talk and what you do so that other people can connect with them because I think values are a really powerful 
force for drawing people together. If you want to reach out to us with any of your own values or tips around integrity, then you can connect with us on Twitter at 99problemscast. That's the number 99, problems, and then cast as in podcast. And we'll see you again for another episode of 99 Problems, but a boss ain't one.